Hello and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Sheila Jordan, and she is the Chief Digital Technology Officer at Honeywell. Sheila has spent the last 20 years becoming an IT expert. She has held senior positions at companies across several industries, from Walt Disney to Cisco to Symantec. In this episode, she'll discuss the importance of leaders to have empathy, the benefits of utilizing Snowflake in your organization, using data to respond to the pandemic, and so much more. So please enjoy this interview between Sheila Jordan and your host, Steve Hamm. Welcome to the podcast, Sheila. Thank you, Steve. So so awesome to be here. Yeah. So Honeywell is one of America's best-known industrial brands, and it's now going through a bold transition. It spun off its consumer brands, and it's focusing more than in the past on data and software. Tell us about Honeywell's businesses and the company's transformation. Sure. So I joined actually in January of 2020. We'll talk about that COVID experience in just a bit. But one of the reasons why I joined is Honeywell does have a very aggressive transformation agenda. In fact, every single function and every single strategic business unit has a digital agenda and digital transformation. We have five actually strategic business units. The first is aerospace. So we actually produce a lot of parts for airlines and aftermarket parts. Our second strategic business unit is oil and gas. And specifically, when we talk about sustainability, we've been at the green sustainability agenda for at least two decades. The third business we have is Honeywell Building Technology, which is really about the air quality and the sensors and everything in the actual office facility. So we all know how important that is returning back to the office and how important the quality of the office is. That's our home building technology division. And then fourth is our safety productivity security systems, which is really around masks, fireman suit. So everything we do on the safety and protective gear. And then finally, the newest really strategic business unit is our Honeywell Connected Enterprise. And that's where we're taking a lot of our products and services that have traditionally been hardware and making them software. So think Think about where IT and OT converge. And if you are running facilities and you're running sites and you're running buildings, it's where you as the as the owner and the management of those facilities, you get an opportunity to see how all, all technology connects between IT and OT in this environment, which we'll, again, we'll talk about a little later called Forge Analytics. So that's our Honeywell Connected Enterprise. Tell us, what is OT? So what is that? So OT is operational technology. Okay. So great. it's all the technology one would have in a supply chain or a manufacturing site. It's all that technology that runs the site. So think about operational technology. Okay. And in each case of all these five businesses, it's a lot of it's really about applying technology more to the products and services. Is that really the, the transformation that's underway? Actually, it's no. It's really about we've always produced a lot of technology. We've always produced a lot of parts and services, but really what I would say the difference is how do we go digital? How are we using data more? How are we connecting more to our suppliers and our partners in our supply chain? You know, as as you can imagine, we are a significant supply chain and manufacturer. So supplies matter and when we get those. So it's really around how do we take these massive relationships in this ecosystem that we do business with and make it more digital. So reduce complexity, simplify and ultimately deliver products and services faster to our customers and partners. Okay, very good. Good. Now, you referred very briefly to the fact that you joined just before COVID, just before the the crisis struck. Uh, Tell us about that. Uh, Describe your role at the company, 
the strategy you're pursuing and the impact of COVID on what you do? Yeah, so uh, again, I'm Chief Digital Technology Officer. So what that means is I run all the technology, the IT corporate technology, as well as data rolls up to me since it's digital and, dig- and data is a part is a significant part of our digital transformation. So I joined the company. I was day 59 when Honeywell, being a 114-year-old company, decided we needed to go work from home. And so we realized quickly that we needed to redesign our network. We needed to get laptops to 83,000 employees across the globe. So I literally called my friends at Cisco and Dell and said, please help. And we did. We redesigned the network and distributed laptops in an eight-day period. So it enabled our entire 110,000 employees, minus our manufacturing employees, to actually be able to work from home very quickly and adjust to the to the whole new COVID way of working. Since that time, though, I'll tell you that when I joined and why I joined is Darius, our CEO and chairman, and the management team here had a very, very, very aggressive agenda on transformation. Again, every function and every strategic business unit has a, has a has a plan. And so I thought that was kind of exciting because my role and my team is in the middle of all of that. And so when COVID happened, as you can imagine, we started to see softness in our aerospace business. We started to see softness in our oil and gas business. And yet in the, in the company, we made a pretty significant decision to keep accelerating transformation. We did not take up right off the gas pedal and we continued plowing through it because we knew at some point this would would be over the COVID situation and and therefore would be that much more ahead. And I would say that the organization here views the whole digital transformation as a competitive advantage and would have been working ahead. So tell us specifically, what are you charged with doing? So if you think about all the corporate IT systems, let's start with network and infrastructure first. So network infrastructure, we make sure that the network data centers, cloud, how we're moving to either AWS or Azure or Google on the cloud. So really think about everything around infrastructure. And again, we have over 400 sites and we're over 83 countries. So think about all the network and infrastructure across the globe. That's one. Then the second layer is really around applications. So think about all the applications that run a corporate business. So it's your ERP business, it's your ERP, it's your CRMs, it's your PLM and ALM for engineering. It's an agile law for legal. So think every function, and of course, all the financial systems. Think every function and every strategic business unit, all the applications that support the business. And then, of course, it's data. So what we're doing with data, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but we've really made a big decision to enable the company to have one enterprise data warehouse. And we've moved into that, that charter and that vision, and it's yielding some significant value for the company. Now, you've worked for a variety of companies, um, Symantec, Cisco, Disney, quite, quite a variety, as a matter of fact. Hey, tell us about the leadership lessons you learned in your career and how you're applying them at Honeywell. That's a great question. And I would say, yes, I've been very fortunate to work in def- different industries because I think one that is, it's, for me, it's fun to be able to work in, say, Consumer Direct and then go to Cisco and deep networking and then go learn security at Symantec. And, I love to be able to apply what I learned in a different industry. So that's kind of what I'm doing at Honeywell as well, is taking all those learnings and applying it. But I would say from a leadership standpoint, the most important thing is authenticity. Mm. You know, there is a, um, it's a very, you know, we've all been through COVID. We've all feel the, 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 the tired, the exhaustion from COVID and not only from working in, in front of Zoom or, or whatever technology for 12, 14 hours a day, but just the sheer effect and impact COVID's having on our friends and family. I don't know of anyone that's directly impacted by that. So I'd say just in general, 
we have to make sure that we're we're more empathetic leaders. So authenticity and empathy, I think, are really important. Someone once told me that the only thing the only thing constant, especially in technology and in my job and in really what we're responsible for, is the fact that it's twenty four hours a day. Right. That's really the only thing that's constant. How you choose to use those twenty four hours, how you choose to have an impact, how you choose to drive strategies, how you choose to develop and grow your team. It's really on the leader. And I think the two attributes that make that work is authenticity and empathy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. The, the talk about empathy and, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember people talking about empathy very much in leadership in past years. I, I, it really feels like COVID has brought that home and, and that hopefully it'll stick. Right. Yeah. I actually think you're right. I think it's made it made it okay to talk about it. I think we've, we've historically talked about the hard skills and the soft skills. And I really do, I really believe that companies I've chosen to work for have all have valued both sides of that. Right. But I think it's been hard and soft skills. I do think COVID has taught us all to be a lot more empathetic and understand that we've got to make sure that we, the whole being, because I think what's happened in COVID, and I also hope this doesn't go away, is there's so many things that I can't wait to shake hands and be live. And I mean, I'm energized by having the team and being working with the team. But I will say that on COVID, you had a few minutes before these calls to see people in their environment, to see their kids, to meet their dogs, to yeah. see their whole being and their whole life. And I just think that's just been a remarkable reminder that the holistic person is super yeah. important to understand and recognize and value. No, I, I agree with you, seeing, seeing people's background. Let's go back in history, though, a little bit. When and why did Honeywell first engage with Snowflake in its data platform? Well, it was pre-me. So again, I started in January 2020, and one of our strategic business units was using Snowflake quite extensively. And then I came in and said, okay, we need an overall strategy on the enterprise data warehouse or enterprise data platform. And so we actually put together the strategy, the architecture. We deployed that predominantly in 2020, and then really began to also deploy the architecture and technology, but also began to move and migrate a lot of information and data elements to our enterprise data platform. Yeah. Now, previous to this, I mean, you have, so you have five business units. One of them is fairly new and there've been some other reorgs, but before this, did they, they didn't share data very frequently or very easily, correct? Yes and no. Several years ago, which I think was important is our management team decided that when we centralized the IT organization I would say four or five years ago now, so way before I joined. And what we did at that point was we realized, one, to centralize IT, but also with that comes a notion of creating a global design model. So we're going to have a global design model for, let's say, Salesforce. We're going to have a global design model for our Adobe deployment or CPQ. So what that does is we hear the global design model, we in IT produce the platform, and then each of the SBGs will converge onto that platform when they decide that they're that that's a priority for them. So it really takes away that every SBG was doing things different. Right. Uh, it really does consolidate, it standardizes, it simplifies, and that was well underway before I joined, and we've yeah. just now completed a lot of that work. Yeah. And with the enterprise data warehouse, they're able to share whenever they're ready. They come in, yeah. their data is all there and they can share it. Yeah. yeah, well, the Enterprise Data Warehouse, and again, we chose Snowflake, but the Enterprise Data Warehouse, it's a little bit different because what we've decided to do is to populate the Enterprise Data Warehouse with key relevant information. So we started this journey in, in 20. 
And then in 21, we got about 60% of the enterprise data warehouse populated. And then this year we'll finish that. And so now what's happening, and again, think about a transactional system throws off revenue or bookings and billings and order, whatever the each transactional system delivers. But the value is when you have all that data from different transactional systems together into the enterprise data warehouse, you start to glean new new insights and new learnings and new things that you could put together that you otherwise couldn't put together, given, of course, the scale of Honeywell, but also the volume and plethora of data that we're dealing with. You can only do that through technology. So we're super excited about what we've been able to deliver in, with our, yeah. our data warehouse. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the engagement with Snowflake, was that right from the start about creating the enterprise data warehouse or did it start smaller and then expand into this big vision? No, that actually started before I was here. Yeah. So they had the enterprise data warehouse vision and in, in the team, one of the groups had, had selected Snowflake. And so then when I saw that we had the beginnings of an architecture, the beginnings of it, it was one of the strategic business units that started it. And then we just said, okay, I came in and I'm used to having an enterprise data warehouse. And so we need to triple down, accelerate. And then we moved through that in 20 in 21 and both the architecture, the integration, I mean, the whole, the whole architecture is super important. What data wants to come into the enterprise data warehouse, the, the sequencing, all of that was really important. So that all that work was done in 20 and 21. And we'll yeah. probably, I don't say finish, but we'll have a big percentage of the data loaded into the enterprise data warehouse for the end of this year. Okay. So it would be great, I think, for the for the listeners to hear a couple of examples of how you're using this enterprise data warehouse. How, what kind of concrete benefits are you getting out of it? Yeah, so one is, if you think about what we were doing, we also simultaneously in, implemented a pros technology for pricing. We weren't really aggressive on doing pricing. And so what we did is we put pros, which does guidance and control, but anyway, we put the application of pros in and started to really do, think about this as more dynamic pricing. We have over 4 million sellable SKUs inside oh of Honeywell. Yeah. Oh so you got to think of Honeywell as the volume is just significant. So, so now we're pricing those 4 million sellable SKUs in near real time. So that's really exciting. And then, as you know, the supply chain with COVID and where we are right now has become a significant challenge for most businesses, and especially those in, that have inventory has become a significant issue and supply chain. So what we're trying to do is to figure out, okay, what does all this mean and understand the challenges that this is offering us and every industrial company is dealing with this. So we started to see these increases in inflation. And so we're like, okay, if these increases where inflation came really last minute and they were pretty significant. So during a discussion, we said, well, why can't we tie inflation to our pricing? Sure. Why can't we link that together? So that's a really significant thing we put into, into play like the fall of last year. The same with surcharge. You know, we basically were in some businesses we were charging surcharge and others we weren't. So we said, well, why? Let's look at what the reasonable fair market value is for surcharge. Amazon charges us all, all shipping, right? So yes. what's the surcharge we could apply or shipping we could charge that's reasonable and responsible, but also we're consistent. So there's a whole bunch of things. Again, the value of the enterprise data warehouse is to link those pieces of data together that normally sit in a transactional system, but now you have an opportunity to link those together to deliver this kind of value. Okay. I see this this journey to one enterprise data warehouse. Where do you see it? I mean, what's the next step? What what are the next step in terms of capabilities and what's the next step in terms of, of, of results that you'll be able to get? Yeah. So a couple of things. One is 
again, by the end of this year, we'll have most of our relevant information loaded. But I think we're always going to be ready to respond to whatever new use case comes about. So I think we're going to always be willing to respond to some use case, like, for example, surcharge or inflation. But what I'm most excited about is the data cloud that Snowflake offers. When you start thinking about third-party data that's publicly available that we can start to use, like for us in logistics, weather matters. Right. Weather really matters across the organization. And one would think weather isn't, why is that important for logistics? Well, it's hugely important. So pulling together, and we already use the data cloud for our market competitiveness. We, we look at market competition. So that's already one kind of linkage in the data cloud, but the data cloud has the opportunity to add in on top of our enterprise data warehouse, publicly available third-party data. And I just think, Steve, we're just beginning to scratch the surface on that. Like we've got five or six different data threads that we know today, but we're just beginning to scratch the surface on what that could mean. Yeah, that's a real marketplace opportunity. Yes. At the very beginning of it, yeah. Now, I know you don't oversee the Honeywell Forge analytics platform, but I think our listeners will be interested in learning what it is and how it works. Yes. Great question. I'm super excited about Forge. So when you think about Honeywell Connected Enterprise, think about, let's just, for example, say that you're in charge of property for a large Fortune 100 company and you're in charge of all the property across the globe. So what what Forge allows you to do is it's like a cockpit. You're like a cockpit that provides you like an air traffic controller to manage those properties remotely across the globe. And it isn't just about managing the properties on HVAC and sensors and the front door being open or locked or, you know, just specific air quality, those things that we would think about the building. But you can actually see, again, think about this cockpit, this analytics about where IT information that's in that building, the IT systems, as well as the OT, the operational technology and how the building is running is coming together. Right. So I can actually see if, if I'm in New York and I can see this building in Dubai and if they're having a problem and one of the doors is open or one of the areas of sensors aren't working. So we can actually see this for all commercially available property almost across the globe. Right. So the ability to run that and then see the issue and take action on it, that's ultimately what Forge and our Honeywell Connected Enterprise will deliver. Mm-hmm. So they're really connected. Yes. They? Connected, yeah. absolutely connected in data. It's yeah. very much built on software data. All that information comes from the sensors. And again, as we all progress in supply chain and you think about robotics, you know if a person's having a problem or called in sick and not there, but how do you detect quickly that the robot's not working? And how do you detect quickly that there's some there's something flawed in the manufacturing cycle of the machinery? So the machinery, we begin to learn about the machinery and the machinery can tell us what's what's not working and then we can with Forge Analytics, detect that, see it, and fix it through the through the analytics. Yeah, yeah. So we've been talking a, a bit about uh, Honeywell's building control system, building systems, all that kind of stuff. And I know that the company's products and services help customers improve their environmental sustainability. And your new headquarters in Charlotte is a showcase for environmentally friendly building technologies. So tell us about that. How is the company using data to foster its own sustainability and that of its customers? Yeah, so a couple of things on that. So first of all, Honeywell has really roughly two decades of sustainability. We've been working on things like plastics and recycling plastics more efficiently. Next generation of batteries we work through in our our oil and gas business. We're looking at low cost carbon capture. And we also have green. We're doing a lot of work on green fuels. 
So I would say in general that we have been working on sustainability efforts for the last two decades. In fact, we made a commitment to the world that said we would be carbon neutral by 2035, which is ahead of, which is ahead of the peace, uh, peace agreement. So we're super excited about that. It's really exciting. Every single one of our businesses support and do some, do produce some products and services that make a move towards the sustainability strategy. Having said that, the building, the headquarters at in Charlotte is absolutely fantastic. We have applied a lot of our home building technology, air quality, sensors. We actually have Sign, which is our new technology, which is completely facial recognition from the parking lot all the way up to your offices. We showcase a lot of the technology on our top floor, which is our executive briefing center for our customers. We have through and through, we have the entire building all using the Honeywell technology. And the really cool thing is on the 23rd floor, which is the top floor, where our customers will come in and visit us. We have a room that showcases the operations behind the building. So we're, again, leveraging all the technology that we produce to offer this incredibly technology-driven, but more importantly, a better building offering as it relates to the overall quality of the building. Yeah, yeah. You know, in my town, which is New Haven, Connecticut, we have an historic building, Bauhaus-style it was the headquarters of Armstrong Rubber and then Pirelli. It's been oh, wow. converted. It's being converted into the 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 country's first net zero hotel. Oh wow! Yeah, and I made a little made a little video about it. Which, if you're interested, I'll send you the link. I think you might you might oh, enjoy. I'd love it. to see it. I'd love to see it. I have a feeling there's a bit of Honeywell technology in there. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> just just a guess. Yeah. Good. Well, that that's a great example. I mean, I think one of the things that COVID has done. It's woken us up to a lot of things, the need for empathy, the need to work together and the need to be greener and to address you know, yeah. climate issues and stuff like that. And I, and I, that's another one of those things that I hope sticks and people really get to it. It's not just a passing kind of fad. Well, it, sustainability and green is a very big part of our strategy. It's yeah. Honeywell's strategy. So yes, it will stick here at least. Yeah, good, good. Hey, let's look into the future a little bit. Looking ahead over the next year or so, what are the technology and business trends that you that you think will have the most impact on how enterprises manage and exploit data? So I really think that I think most companies have done a fairly good job at having an enterprise data warehouse and bringing the data together. But I still think we're scratching the surface on what exactly AI can do and contribute. We all have examples of what AI can do, but I think we're just scratching the surface. And the, for me, AI and automation, when you use those two things, it's because you've got this plethora of data. It's because you've got an opportunity to automate a repeatable task and or find something about the data that the human eye can't do. Like that's the value of the technology. And I would say for the first time in a long time, the technology has outpaced the the adoption of it. Like it really is available. We've got all this technology out there. So what we need to do is to apply these use cases and train the models and train the model, yeah. get smarter and smarter and smarter. And so then you're going to get some answers that you otherwise, you know, wouldn't have seen or known before. Yeah. So I really think that's the next big differentiator. That and what that does is it gives you speed. Because again, IT historically, and for a whole host of reasons, and no, no excuses, but for a whole host of reasons, things take time in IT. They just do. You get the foundation, you got to get your architecture set up, you got to go look at the cloud, you got to negotiate with the vendors and the suppliers. 
you got to like start populating the data and it just takes time. It is like the infrastructure when you are building a town or a home and you got to get the plumbing right and the roads right and all that infrastructure takes time. But I think we're, for the most part, most companies are beyond that. And now it's to take advantage of the data that we all have captured and how do we just continue to extrapolate accretive value? That's yeah. what I yeah. said. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great idea. I mean, when I think about machine learning, one of the greatest applications I, I can think of is in smart buildings and building controls, that constant feed of data, new data all the time, improving the models, optimizing continuously and continuous improvement. I think it's, uh, and it's automated. You don't have to be tinkering with it. You just, you, if you set it up right, it improves itself. So I think that's a, that's a wonderful example. I see the future. Fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? Now, I'm going to ask you to put on your visionary cap. Please look out five years or more. How will data and technology revolutionize business and even society? Other than what I've said already, I just think it's going to teach us things that we don't know today. Like things we don't know. We know what happens in a transactional system, or we know what happens in our general metrics of how you run a business, revenue, bookings, billings, backlog, OPEX, CAPEX, P&L. We know that. But what, what I think we don't know is what's the sentiment of our customers and what's the sentiment of our, our employees and how does that really affect and impact the business results? So I think, again, we've, done, we've talked a lot about AI as it applies to the corporate data and the right. data that in your four walls. But when we can actually marry the sentiment and the more social data to corporate data and learn new things that we otherwise wouldn't see, I think that's that's going to be a really compelling, compelling opportunity for both business, but also, like you said, social. Because again, the other thing I would tell you is with this information, it's going to help us be more predictive and not reactive. So could we then predict the next social problem we might encounter? Could we predict what's going to happen with the environment? So I just think we're going to get way smarter about tying things together that are naturally not tied together. And then right, two, right. how do we predict? No, that's that's great. I mean, it's just a classic connecting the dots, finding finding connections that are that are hidden or finding them faster. I think all those things are, are great. Yeah. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. We're coming to the end of the podcast, and we like to end on a more personal or lighter note. <laughs> I see you know, that we did a little bit of research. I see that you published a book in 2018. You are not ruining your kids. Fascinating. Tell us about that. What led to you writing the book and, and what's your message? Yeah, so it is, a, it is intended to be a positive perspective of the working mother. Yes. So when my kids were, they're now 28 and 26. And I realized when they went to college that they had learned so many things that I had done without necessarily teaching them. It's just they were absorbed. They absorbed so many things as a working mother that you don't think about. So I thought when they first, when the oldest went to college, you know, he did some things. And when my second one went to college, he did some things that were different than the other kids at his age. And I said, God, I really haven't ruined my kids. <laughs> so uh -huh. hence the book. And really it's meant to be, I'm not proclaiming to be the best, the perfect mother in the world. It's just it, what I found when I was going through it is that there's nothing really written about it. It's about 
oh my God, how you balance this work-life, work-life balance. And here's how to, how to, how to deal with both working and also your family. And it wasn't really about the celebration of the working mother. It was more about, here's some things to help you because we know it's hard. So I wanted this book to be tips and tricks. You're not alone. Here's some, and it, and it really does span across there when they were born all the way through the, you know, college. And it really is just about giving, giving the working mother some, because I think sometimes we're our worst enemy and we got to be perfect, at everything, perfect at our job, perfect at work, perfect, you know, with everything we do. And I think the intention is that we really want to make sure that cut yourself a break. And it's okay that one of the stories in the book is I'd get the laundry done and do all the things, but I got over the fact that it all had to be folded and neatly put away every single time I did the laundry. I mean, yeah. it was okay sometimes to have the laundry cleaned in a basket. So, so it's those kinds of things just to make sure that women have a perspective that we can, we can work and raise our family. And it's a positive perspective on that. Are there any tips in there about how, getting spouses or, or partners to do more work around the house and, more child, and yeah. more child rearing? Yes. There's examples in there. I was very fortunate to have my husband who I've now been married to 30 years. And I would say that we, we absolutely shared the total responsibilities. He had a little bit more of a flexible work schedule than I did. So he had the afternoon and could pick up the kids and go to their sporting events. And, and, and there are so many examples of how we didn't have the traditional roles. And, and honestly, we're so, we're very different. Just our personalities are very different. And I actually think that in and of itself also gave the kids an opportunity to see and work with two different personalities. And I think it helped form different personalities that didn't encounter the rest of their lives. So yes, there's a whole bunch in there about just joint responsibilities. Yeah. I'm trying to be good. I'm, okay, you know, good. <laughs> I'm trying to be better. You made me read my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool. Hey, I, I think this has been a wonderful conversation. Lots of high-level strategic advice and, and, and information and lots of down in the trenches, how we get it done stuff. In particular, I appreciated your comment about leadership and about empathy, the importance of empathy and how COVID has really brought that home. And I am with you. I hope that that stays because, you know, one of the things I think about is sometimes in our our quest to be more successful, more efficient, more productive, sometimes we give short shrift to the human, to the relationships, to how we're, how, we're, how, how we're treating people and how we're thinking about them. And I think hopefully out of this disaster of the last couple of years, something that will stick will be being more humanistic. So I totally agree with you. And I, I, I mean, I, I look at that, I think, Sometimes you're right. We get so, so focused on the financials and the performance metrics and that my philosophy on that, on that is the single biggest asset inside a company is the people and right. behind every number, whether it's revenue, bookings, billings, OPEX, savings, productivity, people are driving that. And I think we, we often lose sight of that. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you. And I, I'm positive that the listeners will get a lot out of this one. Thank you so much. Wonderful to meet you. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. 
find an event near you at www.snowflake.com slash data dash cloud dash world dash tour.